Hello, and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell. I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field. So please visit WCAPS.org regularly for more details. Welcome to another podcast for WCAPS. My name is Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins. I am the president and founder of WCAPS, and we're happy to be here to have a conversation with one of the advisory advisors to our advisory council for WCAPS, Layla Hassan. Some of you may, ha- may already know from our tweeting and from our Instagram, and also from the page on WCAPS, Layla is the uh, March Women of the Month for WCAPS. So it's really a great honor to have a chance to talk with her and to share uh, uh, some of her thoughts about being a woman of color in the areas of peace and security. And Layla actually is moving on. She's at State Department right now, Foreign Service Officer, which is wonderful. And she's gonna be moving on to a, a great assignment, but I'll let you tell that story, Layla. So I'd like to turn over to Layla to introduce herself, to say a little bit about where she is and what she's doing. So Layla, please. Thank you very much, Ambassador Jenkins, and thank you for the opportunity to speak today, for the invitation, and for the great um, opportunity to be on the Advisory Council for uh, WCAPS. It really is a a pleasure to work with such a wonderful organization. As you mentioned, I am a Foreign Service Officer with the State Department. I have been there for about eight years. Um, I'm currently working in our Operations Center uh, based here in Washington and where we support um, the Secretary uh, for a variety of of engagements and and diplomacy um, and other seventh floor principles as well. And then this fall, I will be uh, taking my next assignment at our embassy in Paris, where I'll be working in the political section on Middle East and um, Muslim engagement issues uh, across France. That's great, Layla, and I'm totally envious that you'll be going to Paris for for a while. (laughs) I'm definitely looking. I'm definitely looking forward to it. <laughs> Congratulations on getting that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, tell us a little about your background, about your background, and where you're from. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. For the most part, I was born in the UK, actually, and moved to the States when I was about three. Um, My dad was working overseas, um, and so then we came back to the States and moved around quite a bit um, when I was younger for his work um, in Minnesota and Washington State, and then we wound up in Tucson when I was about nine. So I do consider uh, Tucson to be my hometown. Um, But then I moved to D.C. when I was 18 to start school at George Washington University here in D.C. and uh, have pretty much been here ever since. Um, So I won't say quite how long, but it's definitely uh, the time has flown by. Um, After graduation, I started working for the Defense Department. I was there for about five years as an Arabic and Middle East analyst and worked in uh, mostly counterterrorism issues. And then I joined the State Department in uh, 2010. My uh, first assignment, um, fantastic assignment in uh, uh, Beirut as our embassy in Lebanon. And then I moved on to uh, Brussels after that, working at our bilateral uh, embassy to the Kingdom of Belgium. And then came back uh, to D.C. working in our Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, uh, where I covered our countering violent extremism uh, policy and programs for uh, for Europe, 
and then uh, started this assignment in the operations center uh, just last year. Great. So, what what made you interested in the field of uh, foreign foreign service? Well, um, actually, I started when I was quite young um, in middle school when I saw um, Secretary Albright become the first. Uh, female Secretary of State. I was um, totally in awe. I thought that was just the coolest job to be able to uh, travel the world and, and meet new people and learn different languages. And of course, as I got older, I learned that it was a little bit more of a, a nuanced profession than what I had, had first thought, but it definitely sparked my interest um, seeing her um, engage with, uh, with world leaders. And I was fortunate when I was growing up also to have the opportunity to do quite a bit of traveling and I have a lot of family overseas and so we would uh, we would visit them quite a bit um, in Egypt in particular um, and an uncle working in the World Health Organization in Alexandria so we would visit them um, quite a few times when I was young and so that just sparked a real interest in again engaging with other cultures and, and travel and learning about the world around me. Great. And so what is the, what is your favorite aspect about what you're doing now at State? I think right now, I mean, it really is a, a people-to-people diplomacy. I think the actual, the human interaction and engagement is one of the most rewarding and satisfying opportunities. And it's a real privilege to, to have a job, to have a career uh, where your responsibility is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. I know that can sound a little bit cliche, but it's something that I am incredibly proud of to do on a on a daily on a daily basis. And you know, we are at the front lines of foreign policy making and implementation, and um, it's just a a real thrill to be a part of it. Great, and, and it is certainly uh, a rewarding career. I, I also spent many years in working for the federal government in different parts and both the uh, Department of Defense and State Department. So, and I'm very, very happy with my years uh, working for the government, very rewarding. Um, so what do you think are, um, how does the integration of, of diverse voices, like voices of women of color, how do you feel that um, that impacts foreign policy, peace and security policies? Sure. Uh, I, th- I think it's definitely uh, it's a very important aspect. We need to have diverse voices, not just at the table, but making decisions as well. We need to have an, an integrated, diverse workforce, leadership, um, all through the ranks. There needs to be um, there needs to be diversity represented, and it's not just diversity in race; it's diversity in um, geography, it's diversity in educational background, it's diversity, um, you, know, you need to have both genders represented. There really needs to be um, a wide spectrum uh, at the negotiating table, at the leadership levels, um, because if you do not have uh, a wide range of perspectives represented, not everyone is represented, and it's not better decisions are made when you have a broad spectrum of voices and opinions and perspectives involved. And and when you and when you say better decisions, how, how do you define that? How would you how would you well, I, I sure I, I think that it's 
it's just a broader, it's a broader perspective. It's a broader, um, you know, everybody has their own vantage points. Everybody has their own personal experiences and yes, uh, biases. And, and I think that when you have a broader uh, table and more uh, inclusive table, then decisions are more, are more fulsome. You, you are able to learn from one another. You're able to think of things that you might not have thought of yourself. So by better decision, I think I'm, it just means, um, I think, more nuanced, a little more inclusive, um, and that will have, uh, that take into account um, a wider audience. And, and, and um, since in the, I know in the area that you're working in, in State Department, so many of our policies have impact overseas and our policies are um, also meant to um, shape, um, you know, how we, how we are perceived and our, 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 our programs. Um, so, you know, having, having these diverse voices, you know, um, often from people who are, let's say, the diaspora or who, who have that sure. perspective. I mean, how does that, you think, say that a little bit about that and, and our policies, which are to impact uh, the world and, and the global community? Absolutely. I think, I think it's definitely, you know, when we are we're in the Foreign Service, for example, in the State Department, the U.S. government, we are, of course, representing the United States. We are Americans and we are promoting national interests um, around the world and we are promoting our values, our democratic values, importance of human rights, religious freedom, that can go on and on. When you have a diverse workforce, perhaps from different backgrounds, um, myself, for example, my father's from Pakistan, uh, immigrated to the U.S. Um, I have family in Egypt, as I said, in Saudi Arabia, so across the Middle East. Um, my dad's side is Muslim. My mom's side is Christian. I have a very um, a unique perspective when it comes to some of these issues. And, and when you, we all bring our own stories, our own backgrounds to the table. And when you're talking, as you mentioned, about diaspora communities or when you're influencing different uh, programs around the world, you're able to provide cultural context. You're able to provide a different nuance, a different angle. Um, that maybe somebody who isn't as familiar with the region doesn't have a personal perspective on that that might not be able to offer that. And that's not to say that somebody who has worked and traveled and, and studied a particular region, you know, can't speak to those issues as well. It's not, you know, what I'm saying. It's more that you're able to have a broad uh, and deeper um, experience and, and commentary when it is an area that you're heritage your origins might might come from that's great and uh, what are some of the what would you say are some of the challenges for women uh, particularly women of color in uh, in the areas of peace security and conflict and in sure. terms of, uh, you know, jobs or other things like that what do you, what do you think are the unique challenges that, that are faced well I think one of the biggest challenges is underrepresentation. Um, this has traditionally been uh, a male-dominated field. I've spent most of my career working in some aspect of counterterrorism and counter-violent extremism. And, and traditionally, 
um, you know, that is something that it's usually a, a lot of men around the table. I have been in more meetings than I can count as the only woman at the table, um, and let alone as a woman of color. Um, that is usually a very underrepresented uh, group, if represented at all. So I think that's definitely one of the biggest challenges, and it's getting better. I think that is definitely something we are seeing um, slowly more diverse, a more diverse workforce, and then slowly through the leadership and senior ranks. It's still um, something that we are working to improve, and I, I hope, you know, through the next generation or so, that this will no longer be such a, a conversation, that it will not be such an issue that, uh, or a remarkable thing to have a woman of color at the table working on security, national security issues. And, that, and that's an excellent point because um, so many of the policies, um, particularly areas of peace and security and conflict, impact women most directly in, in a lot of countries. And, and so, you know, as you said, having women able to, to give a perspective on how some of those policies may impact women, particularly women of color in some of these countries, you know, in Africa, Asia, Latin America, Middle East, you know, it's very important to at least have that perspective, as you're saying, at the table, because that's, you know, it will be impacting them very directly. Um, Absolutely. And, and you mentioned that, um, you know, you think it's gotten better and to some degree for women uh, in, in, in the area. Uh, could you say a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. I mean, we... In these fields? Absolutely. Um, we have um, some very strong examples. I'll just speak, for example, in in diplomacy, and we had had uh, three female secretaries of state, and we've had two secretaries of uh, of color. We have, you know, Secretary Condoleezza Rice as a woman of color as our Secretary of State. We have a lot of female ambassadors um, and leaders within the State Department. Um, so that is, we're slowly we're getting there, and I, I would say we're very good at bringing in um, a very diverse workforce. We have some great fellowships at the State Department, the Wrangell Fellowship in particular, which brings, uh, helps recruit and bring in a diverse, more diverse uh, cohort into the State Department. Um, we're still across the board uh, struggling, so it seems with some of our numbers and the more uh, senior ranks across the board and having a diverse, uh, diverse leadership. Um, however, that's uh, something I think, as I was saying before, with the next generation um, hopefully will become less and less of an issue and, and now that those of us who are at the table um, myself included it's incumbent upon us to really um, recruit and ensure that uh, diplomacy in these fields of national security uh, peace and, and security are uh, open and welcoming and encouraging for uh, women of color to get involved in and stay involved in and 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 you made an excellent point about um, the advancement issue. Um, and what what do you uh, either either what do you think some of the challenges are uh, for advancement for women of color, women and women of color, and um, what do you think might might improve that situation? Because it's not just State Department. There's other departments and sure. places that have the same challenge. Yeah, I, I can't put a finger on exactly 
what the root cause of this is. I know it's a discussion that is currently very active, uh, not just in the State Department, as you mentioned, across the U.S. government and probably within NGOs in the private sector as well. Uh, I think one thing that's just very important is that uh, we continue to identify and recruit leaders um, from within uh, communities of color, looking at you know women of color, and you know that there are more than plenty of of qualified women who should be at the table who are not that we're not reaching out to, and I think that's something that that we need to be be better at um, at doing um, is is continuing the recruitment. Um, and also in the, you know, we have very different, you know, selection panels and the, the assignments process. We need to make sure it's as inclusive as, as possible. I know we've had some discussions recently regarding um, some of our more hardship assignments in terms of um, whether or not we have good representation or equal representation of women and um, women of color within the leadership ranks and and you know unfortunately we don't always we don't always see that uh, enough numbers of them um, so that's something that needs to be worked on um, and I think something we've seen at State Department for women regardless of of ethnic background sometimes there's um, a self-selection of not pursuing some uh, jobs, whether it requires them to be away from their families uh, on unaccompanied assignments, um, for example, that uh, sometimes those positions can be more more male-dominated. Um, not always, but um, there are a lot of different aspects that we need to, to take a look at to find out um, how we can improve the recruitment and retention process. And um so what would you say to a young woman of color who is interested or just entering the field of foreign policy, peace, security, and conflict? What would be your advice to them in terms of you know, the challenges that they may face and how to overcome those challenges? Sure. I think the most important thing and what I would probably tell my younger self is that you, know, you have uh, a unique perspective, a unique um, a unique voice and don't be afraid to use it. You have every right to be sitting at the table that you should be speaking up and speaking out and contributing just as much as, as the rest of your colleagues. And so I think that for me, it was kind of an initial fear. Uh, am I qualified enough? Um, when you're looking around the room, you know, there's nobody here that necessarily looks like me, it comes from a background similar to mine, that can be very intimidating. And I think I would just want to reiterate that, you know, to keep pushing forward that, you know, you belong at the table just as much as anyone else. And it's, um, we need to hear everyone's voice. And who, who've been some of your role models? I mean, you know, how do, how have you um, found the way to keep Keep yourself motivated at times where you where you where you're the only person of color or the other woman or the only woman of color in a room, and sure. you know that you have just as much to offer, but it is a bit intimidating. We have what have been your mechanisms for 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 dealing with those situations? Sure, I think one of my biggest role models that I mentioned her before was uh, Secretary Albright, and I remember when she was. 
um, at the UN as our ambassador to the United Nations, uh, she had a, a kind of a club of women, um, other female ambassadors to the UN, and she would make a point of, you know, always taking their phone calls and and empowering the other female ambassadors, realizing that they were a small number, but they needed to support each other and be there together. And I think something that I've at least tried to do is to seek out other other women, uh, look for role models. And then sometimes if there, you know, if there isn't anybody in the room, you just kind of have to take a deep breath and, you know, chin up and go forward. It's, um, it's not always easy, but I try to think of the women and, and men who have come before me, who have helped make it possible for me to be in that room and that hopefully my presence will make it easier for someone else down the road. Great. And um, these are great answers. Thank you. So um, how can, looking at WCAPS and what you know about the organization, and again, thanks for, you know, serving on our advisory council. um, How do you think the organization can advance women of color's voice on critical issues of peace, security, and conflict transformation? Well, I think what you're doing right now is one of the the most important things that can be done, and that's amplifying the voices of women who are already in the field. There are amazing women across the sector who are doing just incredible work, and I think those voices and those experiences um, aren't highlighted enough. And so by getting their voices out, getting their stories out, is such a a motivating factor for the next generation of women. As we've talked about, representation really matters and being able to see what women are already achieving will only inspire the next generation to do even more. Great. And and how do you think WCAPS can uh, can continue to engage the next generation? What are some of your thoughts? I mean, we have the Young Ambassadors Program, which you are aware of, but um, yes. other, are there other thoughts for how to engage? I mean, you've been very helpful, for example, to get us engaged with, with the folks at State Department. Um, other ideas like that come to mind at all? Sure. I, th- I think it's very important to engage on college campuses and you know, young professionals who are already in the field. And just a step beyond that would be, I think, to be reaching out to high schoolers, um, looking at uh, a young kids who are thinking about the different options and opportunities and, and getting them to think about a possible career in peace and security um, when they think that might not be possible. When kids are already in college, that's you know amazing. We can help guide them into different directions, but also motivating kids who might not even be thinking about uh, college options or career options and, and sparking that, that interest when they're young. Um, I think is really critical. That's really great to hear because those are some of the things that the that WCAPS is um, going to be doing is reaching out not just to universities and colleges but also to the high schoolers because we understand the need for the to strengthen the pipeline um, and to start early in terms of reaching out to young women to encourage them uh, to be bold and to feel confident and uh, to empower them to get into this field, but whatever field they want to get into. Absolutely. It's a great comment. So thank you for that one. 
Um, I think we'll just end um, with maybe if you have any any final thoughts on this issue of, of women of color in peace, security, and conflict, the challenges, um, the, the need to have a support system and, and to work together when those when those moments are when it gets difficult. Any any other thoughts on those points? Final thoughts. I do. I I have one little anecdote, if you'll permit me to sure. to share that I think kind of for me, it just encapsulates, as you were saying, when I'm having a, a tough day or, you know, really trying to, to get through some of these challenges. Um, I think women, maybe women in particular sometimes underestimate and undervalue um, the, their importance of being at the table and their experiences and realizing the impact that their stories can have on the communities around them. And when I was serving in in Brussels, one of the um, one of that portfolios that I worked on was um, engagement with the Muslim community and counteracting some of the Islamophobia uh, that was that they were experiencing um, in Belgium. And I was sitting at a table um, there as an embassy representative, but with a lot of uh, Belgian youth, and they were third generation, they were Muslim, most of them from Moroccan origin, but they're Belgian citizens, born and raised in the country. And one of their youth leaders, you know, turned to me and said, you are such an example and for these kids. And I kind of looked at him and it didn't really, you know, I never really thought of myself as too much of a role model. I was there passionate about my work and doing my job, but he said, no, he's like, these kids are able to look at you. You are the daughter of a Muslim immigrant to the United States, and you are now sitting here as a U.S. diplomat speaking to these children, and you're giving them uh, the opportunity, just the mere existence as the daughter of a Muslim immigrant, they're able to dare to imagine a different future for themselves. It's not something that they might naturally uh, seem think that they could achieve in in Belgium, and so just by being there, uh, you're inspiring them to uh, to dream of something different uh, for themselves as they continue their pursuit of social integration and and religious freedom. and And that really stuck with me that you know just by speaking up, just by being there, by being at the table, you can be you know a motivating factor for somebody else. and And that's one of the most rewarding things I can think of. and and why I think so many of us pursue a career in, in public service. Well, Layla, that's a great that's a great way to end it because you are definitely a role model, and uh, and I think it's important, like you said, for people to never underestimate, um, you know, not only what a role model they they are, but that there are people who are who are who are looking at you and and younger women who, you know, will see the fact that there's other women. You know, particularly in, in, for young women of color, there's, there's other women of color out there doing really good things. And, you know, that in itself, even if they never say hi to you or you may not even know they're doing it and that they're there, it's very important um, exactly. the role that, that you're playing. So that's a really good way to, to end uh, with a really good final thought. So thank you again, <laughs> well, thank Lou, you. for taking the time. No, to thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's great, and 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 it's wonderful to have your thoughts. And uh, again, thank you for the time you you dedicate to the organization and for being on the advisory council. And we will certainly be uh, in touch and uh, wish you well with your travel and your work in Paris. As uh, as I said, thank you very much. What a way to go 
uh, a wonderful <laughs> way to, to advance and, and move on with your career at the State Department. So, and thanks, of course, Thank you very for much. doing as a as our, our public servant. I look forward. No, I look forward to to continuing working with WCAPS and with the ambassador. It's been a real pleasure. Great. So, um, so that's uh, uh, the, this. This concludes another uh, podcast for our WCAPS WCAPS podcast series. I want to thank you for listening and for um, being a part of the WCAPS work and our mission. And we will see you at our next uh, podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit WCAPS.org. That's WCAPS.org.